It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're excited to be able to talk to you a little bit this morning about uh, the light of the world. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for uh, the kingdom of God that extends uh, beyond this, uh, all the way around this world. Lord, we know that uh, it won't be stopped. Your kingdom will march on. Truth will continue. Grace will continue. Love will continue. Mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, we're grateful that you have put that in our hands as people who can be the light to share that in so many ways, that you've asked us to partner with you in your goal of bringing all things back the way they're supposed to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you use us in many ways to do that, that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be people who listen to you and are guided by you. And we deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and we let you guide us in all of the things uh, and interactions that we have here in this world. Lord, we're grateful for uh, the church here in this town. We're grateful for uh, all of the many different congregations, but one church. All of us who claim Jesus Christ as Lord, all of us who bend our knee towards you, uh, our brothers and sisters of ours, and we're grateful for them. And this morning, Lord, we pray for the Sanctuary Church and their pastor, David Robbins. We ask, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would light a fire in their hearts, that they would share the gospel here in this town, that you would uh, give David uh, the gift of preaching this morning. And the words that he says will be words that are of truth and of power because uh, you stand in them. Lord, we ask the same for us as a congregation. Lord, change us, make us more yours, set us more free in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about another one of the I Am statements. And if you see, this is kind of a series within a series. We're in the Gospel of John. If you're new to us, we want you to know we're in the Gospel of John. We've got uh, our kind of our, our journals here. It has the Gospel of John in it, a place to take some notes. I hope you have yours with you. I hope you're still doing that. I hope you're still taking notes. I'll give you a few things to write down today and a couple of things that you might want to go look at. Um, but in particular, uh, I just wanted to let you know that, that for the next several weeks, we're doing these I am statements, these times in the, in the gospel of John that Jesus said, I am, and then filled that with a word. And you need to know this is not accident. These are powerful statements. The idea of Jesus standing and using the word that God calls himself, I am. And then after that, he puts these words, he is making a huge, powerful, strong statement. And, and one of the things that we've been talking about since the beginning of John is to understand one of the ways that John writes is he always focuses on how Jesus takes something physical and he turns it into something spiritual. There's always a deeper spiritual truth in what Jesus is talking about. And so many times we see that throughout the book of John. We've already seen it a bunch. You're going to continue to. There's going to be these times where, I'm sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback right here on these monitors. Is there anything we can do with that? That's, oh, thank you. Thank you. Am, am I still on? Okay. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, uh, so uh, these I am statements that are powerful things where, where Jesus takes something that's physical and then he turns it into something that's a deeply spiritual thing. Last week we talked about uh, I am the bread. And if you recall, one of the things that he did was he fed everyone with bread. He did this miracle where he made all this bread appear. But then turn that into something spiritual to say, you need to know that I'm the bread of life. I've taken this physical thing that you understand, and I'm trying to show you how I'm the perfect image of what that is. And today we're going to do the same thing. We're going to be doing that with light. 
Now, light is something that we've been talking about a lot. It comes from the beginning, even in the first few words of the book of John. It talks about how Jesus was the true light. And today, one of the things that he says that we're going to be going through is that I am the light of the world. And this is an important statement. And the way that he said it is really important. I want you guys to understand, too, every one of these I am statements that Jesus makes, he is very particular about his words. He is very intentional about the timing. He's very intentional about the place. And he's very intentional about how he says this. These are not accidents, and this is not flippant talk that Jesus does. He is making a point. And for nearly every one of these I am statements, you need to know it flies right in the face of a pagan god that would be in the Roman Greco world during that time. There's a God that said that. As a matter of fact, last week we didn't get a chance to get into that, but the God who said, I am the bread of life in the Greco-Roman culture is named Demeter. And so when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, you need to know that flew right in the face of their pagan God right there. And we'll see the same thing today. There's very, very uh, good reasons and intention in the way that Jesus said these. And you need to know, it is about contradicting some beliefs that people around them will have. There's other images of light and of bread around them. And Jesus is purposely being contradictory. You need to know this is not a weak, shy guy. He's getting right in the face of culture in so many different ways, right in the face of religion. That's what Jesus does. As a matter of fact, you know, the big statement that Jesus is Lord, you need to know was a statement that flew right in the face of the emperor in Rome. The phrase was when you became a citizen of Rome is Caesar is Lord. That was part of your loyalty of being a citizen of Rome. So when Jesus came and his followers started saying, Jesus is Lord, you need to know that perked up people's ears and they were like, whoa, how dare you say that? Because it's a big deal. And everything that Jesus does with these I am statements tends to be something in contradiction to what the culture would be thinking. So let me start with this one. To say, I am the light of the world, you need to know, first of all, flies in the face of the Greco-Roman god, Apollo. Okay, Apollo was one of the most powerful gods that they had in the Greek and Roman culture. In particular, Apollo was kind of the national deity. He was the one that they all kind of uh, pledged allegiance to in some way. He was the national deity of the Greeks. And Apollo claimed that he was the light. As a matter of fact, he claimed that he was the source of all light. And that if you wanted light, you needed to come to him. And it was literal light in that they believed uh, that, that Apollo provided the light for crops, and he provided the light for warmth, and he provided the sunlight in all of those ways. They also believed that he provided wisdom, and he provided counsel. That was the belief of the god Apollo. Now, here's the problem with this. Apollo, there was nothing virtuous, and there was nothing holy, and there was nothing admirable in any way about Apollo. The stories that were told about him was that he was basically a spoiled, impetuous type child. He had multiple affairs with human uh, women that did not work out. They all fed up, fell apart. He was one that looked for love and was never able to find it. He was one that looked for relationships and never able to find it. And you need to know, Apollo, while it said that he provided light, it was not because he loved you or cared for you or really had any feelings towards you at all. It was just something that he had, and it was about him. He was the center of all things. And light was given from him if you pleased him. If you made the right sacrifices, if you did the right thing, then maybe, just maybe, 
what he would do is he would continue to provide you with light. And what that did was that left you at the mercy of a very selfish, horribly flawed being. There's no ultimate truth with him. He could change on a whim. His moodiness was notorious in every way. So there's no truth. There's no holiness. There's no virtue in any way with Apollo. And so for Jesus to claim, I am the light of the world, you need to know, flew right in the face of that. Here's another contradiction that came with this. This contradiction came with the Jewish leaders and their understanding of how God operated in the Jewish faith. See, they, not only, they also had a claim of light, that they owned it. In the Jewish faith, the leaders claimed to hold the light, and it was the Word of God. It was Torah, the law of God. In Psalm 119.105, this is probably one you know very well. They made a song out of it, right? Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. So what you had was religious people going, we have the light. We hold it. Here's what it is. It's the word of God. And you need to know that makes sense because for them, God's word and light always went together. When Moses went up on the mountain, it was covered in this great light. When he came down, there was this great light on his face. When the word of God was given to them, there was a light that shone. There was a light that led them as they went from Egypt in slavery into the promised land. Light and the word of God were always connected with each other. And so this idea that they would say, we hold the light. It's the word of God and we have it. And that's what we depend on. That's why it was so important when John started his gospel that he said, in the beginning was the, the word. Yeah. Wanted to make sure you understand from the beginning, there's deity here. The word of God was the light. But now you have Jesus standing up and saying, I'm actually the light. So it's very contradictory to both those things. Now here's the other part that's really neat. Timing really mattered. Jesus was very careful about his timing. If you look one chapter earlier in chapter 7 of John, you will see that Jesus was in Jerusalem at this time. And the reason that Jesus was there was for one of the Jewish festivals, one of the big ones. This one was called the Festival of, Ta of Tabernacles, also called the Festival of, Festival of Booths. And so he was there at this time in Jerusalem. And what would happen is this was one of the big festivals where Jewish people would come from all over and they would flood the city. And they were to present themselves that had this celebration before God. This was, this was the party one. You need to know. Of all of the different festivals, this is the one that was the most joyous. It was one that God commanded. And what they did was they came and they would put up booths or tents or tabernacles all around the city of Jerusalem. And they would stay in these booths and in these tabernacles during this time. As a matter of fact, you can see the, the uh, command from God in Leviticus 23 to do this. Leviticus 23, 41 through 43 says, Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This will be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this Feast of Booths and Tabernacles was this time of great celebration when you would come and everybody, as according to the command here, was to put up a tent, was to put up a shelter, a little tent, and they would live out there. It was like party camping, right? They all came and they put up these tents and they stayed. It would be everywhere. It would be for miles all around Jerusalem. 
for seven days, you stayed in this tent. And what you did was you remembered the time when God took us, and that's the way they would say it, us, when God took us from slavery in Egypt to this promised land where we were his people. That's what we would celebrate every day. And they would sing psalms and they would dance and they had these huge parties all the time. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they said is it was the most joyous of all feast days. They would sing the psalms of, and you want to write this down, this is something to go look at, the psalms of ascent. That's Psalm 113 through 118. Chapters 113 through 118. These are the psalms that they would recite and that they would sing out loud and they would dance. And they're all about God protecting us and God taking us to this new place. And they all have this, and God save us. This word Hosanna that came through comes from these chapters. God save us. And they would remember that we traveled during this time. And we had this light of God that presented itself so that we knew that he was there. But it's also this promise of a light that was coming in the Messiah. So during this time, they're celebrating all of this. Now, this is the time where Jesus is at the temple. This is the time that this takes place. And one of the neat things that happened during this time was during the Feast of Tabernacles at the end, the end of every day, and then really at the very end, there was this great ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. It involved the ritual lighting of four golden oil-fed lamps in the court of women. I'd like to stop for a second. In the court of women. If you look right before he says these words, this is when he's at the temple and the woman caught in adultery was brought in and presented before him. That would have happened in the court of women. That's where he is at this time. And so there was these huge lamps. They're like candelabras, and they're 75 feet high. As a matter of fact, I think I have a picture to show you kind of a rendering of what it may have looked like. This is what it looked like when they lit those. Can you show me the other picture, too? There you go. Okay, so this is obviously a, a rendering of what it looks like. And as you can see up there on the right, there's two of them. There's two out of the four that you can see. They're like 75 feet high, and they would be filled with oil, and they would be lit for the whole night. And now go to the other one. And after they were lit, it would light up the whole city all night long. And this is how they celebrated. This is to remind them of the pillar of fire that had guided them in the wilderness. And they said all night long it would show its brilliance and illuminate the entire city. Right at the end of the Festival of Tabernacles. And it is at this backdrop that Jesus stood and said, I am the light of the world. Right in the face of the Greek god Apollo that is worshipped by the people that had conquered them. And right in the face of the Jewish people and their celebration of going, this is the light that lights up our people. Jesus stands up and says, not just our people. I'm the light of the world. Not just the Jews. Not just Israel. I'm the light of everybody. And you need to know this was a powerful statement. People knew what he was doing. This was not a side comment. This was Jesus standing up and contradicting everything that culture says and everything that religion says and going, I'm it. I'm the perfect image of what illumination is, of what light is, of what is the source of light, and I am the source of all light. That's who I am. It was a powerful, powerful time. For Jesus to stand up and do this.
we need to remember what this is in our world. It's an exclusive claim. When Jesus got up and said that, he, needed, he was saying, you need to know there are no others. There's no other truth. There's no other light that you can count on. I'm the source for illumination. I'm the source for life. We say the same thing. And graduates, we want you to know, and teens and young people, we want you to know, make no mistake, Jesus makes an exclusive claim. There's one. I'm it. The light of the whole world. And then what he says with it is such a powerful thing too. Because what he says with this is he compares light and darkness. Just in this one little short verse, he compares light and darkness. And what you want to do if you want to walk in light, and what you want to do if you're going to walk in darkness. And you need to know this is a big theme that goes throughout John all the time. John's always pointing to light and darkness. And he wants to show you what the difference is. And Jesus tells you what the difference is in the scripture. And you need to know it's not obeying rules. He doesn't say, I'm the light of the world. If you want to walk in the light, obey all the rules. And he doesn't say, if you don't obey all the rules, you're going to walk in darkness. He doesn't do that. Thank God he doesn't do that. Because that would lead us to a really bad place. You need to know in this, when he talks about you'll never walk in darkness, that means that sin and darkness are not just the same thing. Here's the problem. For me to never walk in darkness, if that means to never sin, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. I'm constantly messing up. I'm constantly falling short. And so walking in darkness doesn't mean to mess up. And walking in light doesn't mean that you never mess up. This is not just about the law. That's part of why he said it at that place and that idea right then in front of those people as they lit up the city in every way. It gives us a false idea of what light is. Let me tell you what this looks like. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I'll, t I'll tell you my struggle with this. It comes from 1 John verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John 1, verse 7. You know this one? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's a song about that one too, right? You know that one? We are walking in the light as he is in the light. Let me tell you what this did to me when I didn't understand what it meant to be in the light and to be in the darkness. I had this idea that Jesus is the light and he shines it. And in this dark place, there's this beam of light that comes. And to walk in the light meant to do what he tells you to do. And so when I obeyed, I'm here in the light. And according to this scripture, what that says is that the blood of Christ cleanses me. But sometimes I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And then I moved over here to the darkness, and I'm not in the light anymore. And if I'm in the darkness and I'm not in the light as he is in the light, then I wasn't washed clean anymore. And so I'm lost. But then when I maybe asked for forgiveness and I repented, then I moved back into the light. And when I moved back into the light, then he's pleased with me again until I mess up again. And then I'm back in the dark. And it's this torturous journey back and forth every day, every single day. Because I would mess up multiple times a day and still do. And it's torture to look at the light in that way. That's why Jesus says it the way it does. If you follow me, it's not just if you obey me. It's a whole different thing. And you need to know, obeying is much more, following is much more than obeying. It's more. 
If it was just obeying, then the Pharisees would have been in great graces with Jesus, and he would have pointed them out to go, these are the people that obey. Man, this is what you need to be doing. But that's not what he said. What he said is, I want you to follow me. And that is beyond just doing what's right and wrong. It's not transactional. The idea that I move in and out of darkness and light, depending on what I do, means that I have this transaction with God. When I do good, you give me good. When I do bad, you give me bad. We trade. And that's not good news. That's bad news. The good news is that being in the light or darkness is not dependent on your goodness, but instead it's dependent on the goodness of the one you follow. It's dependent on the goodness of God. Walking in the light of Christ doesn't just mean that I walk with him when I do the right thing. It means that I follow him when I mess up. When I do the wrong thing, when I mess up, when I fall short, what do I do with that? I follow Jesus with it. I bring it to him. I let him take care of it. That's the illumination that he has. I follow in my sin. I follow in my failings. That's good news. If it's just dependent on me doing good and me doing bad and I move in and out, that's not good news. There's no gospel there. Instead, what Jesus did was he made that way for us to follow. He gave us the righteousness to belong to him and to be able to follow even when we mess up. Only Jesus is more holy and true than Apollo and more grace-filled and sacrificial than the law. Amen. Only him. That's why when he stood up and said, I am the light of the world, it flew right in the face of the law and of the pagan gods. Young people, let me tell you, there's a lot of folks out there that are going to claim they have the light. There's a lot of pagan gods out there. There's a lot of societal gods. There's a lot of government gods. There's a lot of different ways. And you need to know they don't have the truth. They just don't. They don't have a sacrifice for you. They don't have a love for you. They haven't laid down their body for you. They are not holy, and they don't hold the truth. And that sort of light will only burn you. Only through Christ can he go, I can shine a light on you to see exactly who you are to your deepest part of your soul and still love you and deliver you. Nobody else does that. Nobody. Our desire for you as you grow up here, as you graduate, as you leave here, our goal for our young people as they grow up here for us to teach them is to follow Christ. When you're doing right, you're following Christ. If you're doing it for him. When you're doing wrong, you follow Christ. Wherever he goes, you go. You can trust him in what he's doing. You can trust him with your good, and you can trust him with your bad. Amen. That's the good news of Christ. Amen. No pagan God, no societal light, and no religion can save you. Only Jesus can do that. Amen. And he's the only one worthy of us following. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We do thank you for our young people. Lord, we think um, that there's really nothing more important we can do than shine the light of truth through Christ so that our young people grow to walk in the truth. Lord, we ask that you would give us courage, that you would give us sacrificial hearts, that you would let us follow you in such a way that the people who grow up behind us will see and be able to imitate us as we imitate Christ. 
Lord, we so want for our children that we love so dearly to belong to you. And we realize that you want it even more. We want them to have freedom in Christ. We want them to have the grace of Christ. We want them to have the forgiveness of Christ. And we know you want that same thing for each one of us. So, Lord, we will follow you no matter where you lead, knowing that we can trust you. And it is in the name of the Son who died for us and who was resurrected that we pray. Amen.